morning, everybody. Good morning. Least work I've done for the most applause in quite a while. Thank you all for being here at the ASLH membership meeting for 2017. I have this really cool improvised um, gavel. Sir? Mic's not on? I'm sorry, I got mixed responses there. It's on. It's on over there. It's not on over there. Oh. Just keep talking. Just keep talking. Test, test, test. Here we go. How's that? How are we doing? I'll break my back if I have to lean over the whole time. You like it up that close? Everybody likes it up close. <laughs> face to face. Yes, our traveling technician here is making it work. Is it getting better if I lean back a little bit? Great. Happy? Okay, thank you so much. As you can tell, this is an interactive membership meeting <laughs> that I'm now going to call to order with my fancy schmancy gavel, which John Dichtel uh, made in, from, improvised. Made from, made from a lump of coal. <laughs> How magical he is. Okay, meeting called to order. Thank you. Don't stop laughing just because we're doing business. So you've got the agenda, and um, my first job here is to tell you that Julie Rose is not Linnea Grimm, <laughs> but Julie is going to stand in for our secretary, Linnea. Julie ha ha is the past president of ASLH, as you all know, and was uh, in this seat last year. So I'm really honored that Julie's gonna be our secretary today and uh, conduct the, take the minutes and conduct the vote. Julie, take the podium, or take the mic. Linnea is at home now with two little children and she is um, uh, announcing that they have now a little boy and so their family is growing and she sends her hello and her regards to everybody. Um, you've I hope you've had a chance to look at the 2016 annual membership meeting minutes um, that were taken in Detroit, Michigan. If Do I hear any changes? Corrections to those minutes. I have a motion to approve. Who's, who made that motion? Jay. Jay, thank you. Who can second that? Second. Jim. Jim, thank you. Um, all in favor? Aye. Opposed? Great, thank you all. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie. And on to the numbers are um, very experienced treasurer Norman Burns. Norman. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this is the first time I've actually had an opportunity to give this treasurer's report since St. Paul. Uh, the last two years, I've had some. Um, uh, personal family matters as well as some things in uh, uh, transition with work that's precluded me from standing here. So the last time I was here was in St. Paul. But I'm very proud of the work uh, that ASLH has been able to do. Uh, also at St. Paul, uh, I kicked off a 75 for 75 campaign as kind of the chair of that. And I didn't get an opportunity the last two meetings to thank our membership uh, for how you stepped up during our 75th anniversary year and helped us raise over $75,000 uh, to help us with programs and activities uh, that would help us not only celebrate the 75th anniversary, but look at the future of ASLH. And I can tell you that the funds that you, that you raised during uh, that year has enabled our CEO to do some incredible things, uh, not only to commemorate the 75th, but also to be, uh, begin to think about how programs can change. And he's gonna be reporting later about the great success uh, with a very limited staff uh, to be able to increase programming and the things that we do with annual meeting, the online presence that we do with our webinars uh, and this online meeting, which is what, over 150 people are online? Over 140. Over 140 people that are online. So once again, I have not had an opportunity to stand here and thank you for that. 
Also very uh, proud to have so many uh, wonderful people that work on the finance and investment committees uh, with me as treasurer. And, and if you're a member of either the finance or investment committee, if you'll just stand up so you can be recognized. And of course, our remarkable ASLH uh, staff, uh, they do such a remarkable job with the limited resources that they have available to them, and of course, our council, uh, which is very diligent. Uh, I'm very proud to stand here this morning and tell you that the finances of ASLH are in better shape than they've ever been, and uh, that's a great accomplishment. For the first time, I think ever, I'd have to look back 20 years, but uh, I know it's been a while for the first time ever, our total assets are over two million, and that's a, that's a, a pretty great accomplishment. As a matter of fact, uh, we ended this last fiscal year, uh, 2016, uh, with total assets of $2,024,968. Uh, and then with cash equivalents and other things uh, that make, make that up, uh, with total liabilities uh, of 534366 uh, As you'll see from, uh, from the slide, next slide, if you go to that one, uh, we actually have a, a makeup of, aren't you, the slides look a little different from what I've got. We, we, have, a, we have a makeup. <laughs> That's interesting. You want that one? Uh, that, there we go. But let me just turn around and look at it. Maybe I should do that. Um, uh, once again, we have a wonderful makeup uh, uh, with our investment committee of what we do with, uh, with our investments on the endowment. Uh, we have a mix of cash at 5%, stocks at 69%, and bonds 26%. Uh, percent. Uh, and the endowment has grown uh, remarkably during that time. Uh, once again, uh, we're currently at uh, 1647202 uh, and that's above the corpus of a million five, uh, one twelve, three thirty-four, and we've been above water uh, now for almost a year, uh, and we continue to lower the draw uh, on uh, on the endowment, uh, and so that's a wonderful thing. John uh, has been able to uh, to help us uh, bring surpluses in. This is the third year that we've brought a surplus in, uh, and I think that's a, a once again a remarkable uh, thing that we've been able to do. John, if you want to go to the next slide. Oh, that was it. Oh, so I had I had my notes differently on this, but uh, we do have uh, uh, we have had an opportunity to do some remarkable things uh, with the surplus, and uh, John's going to be telling you uh, about those. But for those of you that uh, uh, that have that work in this field and have been in the field for a while, you know that the the life cycle of any organization ebb and flows. It does it sometimes with economy, it sometimes does it with leaders, uh, but ASLH has always been an organization, it's had remarkable leaders, it's had remarkable members uh, that have helped us sustain operations, and so we appreciate what you've, uh, what you've done uh, to work with us as we went from an ebb to now we're flowing again. And so once again, thank you for working with the council and keeping this such a vibrant organization. Thank you. So I, um, you might see me ducking like this. I'm not trying to hide from you. There was a very bright light there, and I thought I had burned out those part of my eyes staring at the eclipse. Um, but apparently I, I did not desensitize myself enough because I'm seeing blue spots. Uh, so I'll try and look at you. It's worse down there. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Because of Hurricane Irma, our second hurricane as a nation in a few weeks, we have an award winner who came to the meeting to get their award tonight, but they need to leave early to get back to Orlando, Florida. So we're gonna give them their award here. So the Orange County Regional History Center in Orlando, Florida is receiving the award of merit for the One Orlando Collection Initiative, known in Florida as Keep the Pulse. This partnership between the Orange County Regional History Center and the City of Orlando established an initiative to document the impact and legacy of the June 12, 2016 Pulse nightclub terrorist attack. The One Orlando Collection initiative united a community by preserving public memorial items from sites that popped up throughout Central Florida in the wake of tragedy and doing so in a publicly supported repository with assistance and input from community partners and stakeholders. Caring for collection interns with dignity, excuse me, items with dignity and interns with dignity, I'm sure. <laughs> the initiative's 
The initials. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. We haven't given the award yet. <laughs> the initiative's goal is to make memorial items available for future commemoration, education, exhibition, and scholarship. This project is also being honored by ASLH with a History in Progress, or HIP Award. It is presented at the discretion of the awards committee for nominations that are highly inspirational, exhibit exceptional scholarship, and or that are exceedingly entrepreneurial in terms of funding, partnerships, or collaborations, creative problem solving, unusual project design, or inclusiveness. The One Orlando Collection Initiative is a captivating model of partnership, I almost said partisanship, <laughs> community engagement and inclusiveness. It also illustrates how history organizations can stretch their mission to provide services and leadership to their communities during times of crisis. Congratulations on your good work, and we wish you safe travels home. And they're off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Do we want to do the election results? Did we skip that? Yes. Yes, we definitely did. Yes. Next on our agenda is um, results from our election of new council members and new leadership nomination committee members. And to uh, give you the report on the election results, I'd like to ask Don Zuras to take the podium. Don. Uh, I'd like to have the, uh, the candidates uh, if they're here, to please rise and be recognized. The two candidates elected to the Leadership Nominating Committee are Omar Eaton Martinez, National Museum of American History, Washington, D.C., and Laura Hortz Stanton, Conservation Center for Art and Historic Artifacts, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the four new members of council are Lisa Erickson, Lisa Erickson Consulting, Oakland, California, Stacy Klingler, William Butterworth Foundation, Moline, Illinois, Brent Ott, the Henry Ford, Dearborn, Michigan, and Trina Nelson Thomas, Stark Art and History Venues, Orange, Texas. I know Trina's not here. There were no officer positions on the ballot this year, but there will be next year. Thank you all. Thank you, Don, and thank you uh, to all of you who voted. And we had a number of nominations from the field this year, so please look for the announcement of nomination opportunities to submit uh, names and ideas and nominations to the Leadership Nomination Committee this winter, I expect. Not quite sure of the timing. Um, and thank you, Don, and welcome to the new council members. You all know that Trina Nelson Thomas, well, if you don't know, Trina Nelson Thomas is at home because her home in Orange, Texas was devastated by the flooding of Hurricane Harvey. And this, of course, with just presenting the award to our colleagues from Orlando, gives me goosebumps. And I think, and it reminds us all to remember the circumstances of these people in the state where we are right now, Texas, and uh, other parts of the country uh, who are looking at a hurricane barreling down on them and uh, 
have to cope with that. So we wish everyone the best in our thinking about Trina. Now I think it's time. On that lively note, John, <laughs> you get the podium for the President's Report. Yes. <laughs> well, on that note, I know that getting to Austin was difficult for many people. Flights were canceled, flights were rearranged. Um, certainly, our attendance was affected um, in ways that we, we still don't even know because uh, that while the numbers, no one canceled, very few people canceled their registrations, but I think many of our colleagues we're not able to actually make it from the areas of the country affected by the hurricane. Um, and as you saw, there are people who are hurrying home or chose not to come because they knew that they were going to be hit by Hurricane Irma. So thank you all for making this meeting, being able to be here. We have an attendance as of this morning of 1,028. So we broke 1,000, we're very excited about. As Norman mentioned, we have 143 online registrants, and each of those actually um, represents, could represent more than one person. We know that uh, we have many reports of, in previous years and this year, of people who've registered for the online conference intending to share it with a group, a, a, a group of staff, a, a group of colleagues. I know of one institution in California that wrote me an email and was very excited about the online conference because they couldn't come all this way, and they were planning to gather 40 institutions um, to participate in the conference together that way. So that's really exciting to hear. That's how we want it used. Um, yesterday, Catherine mentioned the, the, the hurricane fund. We're still collecting money for the hurricane fund. Last time I checked, which was this morning, uh, we have over $8,000, $8,344 to distribute 100% of it to cultural institutions uh, in, in Texas and Louisiana. Uh, we might have to use it for Hurricane Irma, too. Uh, so we're kind of in a new normal. So besides thanking you, one of my roles at this meeting of the membership is to thank a lot of people who made the conference possible. And I want to start doing that by uh, reminding you that this is the 78th time by my calculation. That, that number doesn't sound right, but I've checked it a few times. The 78th time that the ASLH has convened a national meeting. Um, so it's, it's quite a long record we've had. Um, I know at least in one other case, the year 2000, or yes, 2000, 2001. 2001. Yes, the meeting was canceled because of 9-11. Um, but each year we do manage, boy, I really have to lean into this. Uh, each year we, we manage to bring together nearly a thousand people and put on a really good conference. And I like to think that each year it gets better. Anecdotal reports, early reports on this conference are that things are going well. Sessions are, are dynamic. People really appreciate the content and people are learning a lot. And that's due to Lots of people. We have our co-chairs of our local host committee, Laura Casey and Margaret Cook. I think I saw them somewhere. If they would, could you could, could you stand? Could you please stand up? Sorry, I should say that. Mark and Laura's with the Texas Historical Commission. Margaret is with the Bullock Texas State History Museum. Um, and they put on a fabulous reception last night at the Bullock. Um, the, the local arrangements have just been terrific at this conference. And they had a committee of 57 people helping them. And it really shows we're seeing the, uh, the real sense of Texas history, culture, people, places, and, and even flavors. Um, so it's, it's been wonderful in that regard. So I'd like to thank everyone on the host committee. I was supposed to do that so you could read their names in very small print. I'll give you a minute to read every one of those names. And of course, we also want to thank our program committee, Dina Bailey. Is Dina here? There's Dina right down there. Stand up. Who not only um, came up with a marvelous theme for the conference, I Am History, um, but did a, 
incredible job of, of moderating the discussion with Darren Walker yesterday morning. Um, that program committee, oh, I was there. That program committee, uh, 41 people, I think. So we have a grand total of 98 people, uh, volunteers working on this conference. And these are you know, extremely hardworking people, so many volunteers. And then there are also the volunteers at the conference, many of them wearing the t-shirt, uh, helping you find your way to events. We'd like to thank them. And then, of course, all the people who present and do the workshops. We're not paying any of them um, other than the keynote speakers. Uh, no one gets any money to do this. So we're all volunteers. We're all participants. And of course, I'd like to thank Bethany Hawkins and Natalie Norris. Bethany's somewhere here. Have to stand up. Thank you. And there's Natalie over there. An amazing job. Now, if there are chairs of any committees, could you please stand up? Not related to, I mean, can including the program committee, Dina, and local host committee, Margaret and Laura, could you stand up? And any other chairs of committees or task forces or, or affinity group committees? Okay, there you go. So it's worth noting that we have well over 200, something like 230 volunteers working on committees throughout the year who really help us do the work of the association. And if there are any committee members, could you stand up? Chairs, you can choose to stand or not stand, but all committee members. Thank you, thank you. So next I would like to acknowledge our exhibitors in the exhibit hall whose financial support is so important to this conference, their participation, um, their financial support, the work that they do um, as, as part of this conference helps keep the cost of the meeting at a reasonable level for everyone. And they are our colleagues. They're not just vendors sitting in the exhibit hall, um, but they some of them participate in sessions and workshops, um, and they are all our colleagues in this, this profession. Um, so I would encourage you to spend time in the exhibit hall if you haven't had a chance to do that. It closes later today, I think at 3.15, or sorry, uh, 4. Um, is that right, 4? But there is a break right before then at 3.15, and also lunch will be, is that right, in the exhibit hall. Thank you. And of course, there are our sponsors for the conference. We want to thank especially our annual meeting premier sponsors, the Bullock State the Bullock Texas State History Museum, the Briscoe Center for American History, and the LBJ Presidential Library, and our platinum sponsors, the Texas State Historical Association, the Public History Program at Texas State University, and History IT. We have had lots of help, and I am grateful, and, and I, I hope all of you are grateful. So please join me in thanking all of our sponsors and all of our exhibitors at all levels, and our volunteers for making this conference what it is. And then there's one last uh, sponsor I wanted to mention here to segue into the next thing, and that's the Summerlee Foundation uh, of Dallas, Texas. And it's headed by Gary Smith, a colleague of ours, formerly of the Dallas Heritage Museum. And the Summerlee Foundation gave funding this year to pay for 10 diversity scholarships. Um, so we'd like to thank them for that. So inspired by this, and by last year's, oh, that's not right. No, that is right. Okay. Inspired by this and by last year's host committee's ability to, to raise money for diversity scholarships in Detroit, um, ASLH increased its own number of diversity scholarships from two to five this year. And so we gave out 15. So there's that nice rising bar graph there. I hope that's something we, I know it is something we will continue to do. Um, you will see that bar going up, and it's, it's already started to change the, 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 the atmosphere and the content of this, of this conference. Um, so we're going to continue heading in that direction. And I think, is Doug Evil in here? Could you stand up, Doug? Could, could you stand up, Doug? So I just want to say something about Doug Evelyn. So he was ASLH president or chair, was it called? 
1992 to 94, and he gave strong support to ASLH's professional development program in general, and for more than 20 years since, we have been giving scholarships, diversity scholarships, at the annual meeting, one or two a year, in his name, the Doug Evelyn Scholarship. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge him for starting us down that path, and, it, and you can see that it's grown. And we should also acknowledge the incredible success of the Small Museums Committee in raising funds for 11 scholarships this year. These are for colleagues attending the meeting from smaller institutions, and this is another important form of inclusion by this association. It can be especially challenging for smaller institutions, as you all know, either by personal experience or by, by empathy. Um, challenging for them to find the time and resources to send someone to a national meeting. That's one reason we move it around the country, knowing that it's a lot easier to drive to um, uh, uh, when it's close to you. Um, yet the ideas shared and the relationships formed at a conference are so crucial to people's careers. And so it's really, really important that uh, we're an inclusive organization in that direction. Um, the I Am History theme and ASLH's larger strategic goal of building diversity and inclusion obviously are moving us uh, toward greater heterogeneity and durability with regard to race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, class, religion, disability, and sexuality. Those are areas to which all institutions, including ASLH, must continue to commit time and resources, and, and ASLH will also be dedicated to diversity and inclusion of other kinds. ASLH has always been an association of lots of different types of history institutions, museums, agencies, offices, companies, and sites. We continue to have broad representation across the country, and we're always trying to do better, to be more representative, and to have more reach, and to increase the number of our members. Most of our member institutions are quite small. Half have yearly budgets under $250,000, and half of those, so about a quarter of our total membership, have budgets under $50,000. And these are members we tend not to see at the annual meeting, at least not in large numbers. They're also the least represented on committees and task forces. One of the most interesting things about the world of history practitioners at historic sites, societies, and museums is that people come to this work from lots of different directions. They come as volunteers, as paid professionals, with some training, with um, a little bit of training or highly trained uh, from a museum studies program or a public history program. And they come to the community of the historical enterprise at a young age, sometimes in mid-career or sometimes as a second, third, fourth, or fifth career later in life. We have history organizations that are public and others that are private. There are history museums, government agencies, archives, historic houses, historical societies, libraries, historic preservation groups, living history sites, consulting firms, college and university programs and institutes. So not all museums, although many with museum functions, and, there, and more, more diversity within our membership. It's our challenge to bring all this diversity together and to find where the differences of the parts make the whole of us greater. What is most difficult, I think, currently, is keeping together in conversation and in mutual learning from each other individuals and organizations with differing political points of view. This became especially tough after the presidential election when the country has felt so divided. As we all know, political views shape and are shaped by our understanding of history. Fortunately, so many historians history practitioners, whatever their personal politics and whatever their institutional politics, are united by tools and methods for doing historical work. And these things unite us. Uh, intensive research, adherence to the facts, even if those facts don't fit our, our preconceived notions and assumptions. And we also value evidence-based argumentation. And we think facts matter. We know facts matter. We also value critical thinking or, or really historical thinking. And all of us, I hope, agree with the proposition that history is relevant to modern life and that more Americans should be using historical thinking skills to actively engage with and address contemporary issues. And I hope we can all agree 
with Darren Walker, who said yesterday something along the lines the, uh, about the importance of reconciling notions of American exceptionalist, exceptionalism with ideas of um, and the facts of America's imperfections as a nation. Um, that's really our job, is to reconcile those two and present them in a way um, to and with the public that invites them in, keeps them curious, um, um, helps us all learn and move forward together. So my plea to you, uh, it's not a fun fundraising plea, I'll save that for later in the fall. My plea to you, as this association continues to strive to overcome racial barriers, economic divisions, gender divides, and other forms of discrimination and privilege is to remember that ASLH also has a duty to include and learn from a wide range of participants in this historical enterprise. Red state, blue state, big city, small town, paid volunteer, we are ASLH. We are people with some variance and in interpretation of the past who all must be kept in the conversation so that the greater professionalism, education, and exchange of ideas within ASLH and across the historical community continues and is inclusive. One of ASLH's greatest strengths is this number and diversity of its members. We are fortunate also to have a highly capable staff. So I couldn't figure out how to make that shift. <laughs> uh, so from one strength to another. Uh, and, and we've had a number of staff changes this year, so I wanted to, uh, and we have a little more time at, the, at the, this business meeting, so I wanted to spend a little more time on staff. And I think most of them are here in the room today. So Bethany Hawkins, okay, and you guys don't have to stand up unless you can raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anyone. So Bethany Hawkins, who works magic every year to organize this annual meeting, continues to take on new duties as our chief operating officer. She's been a tremendous leader in the office and across all of ASLH's programs. She also runs the awards program. Um, she does many things, and she continues to take on new duties. Uh, Bob Beattie, no longer an employee of ASLH, is a contractor with his own consulting business, and he's working on his dissertation. We have engaged him to continue as editor of History News and managing editor of our history book series with Roman and Littlefield, and he's working on, on two or three other projects as well, and we'll, and we'll do so um, into the future. We had a couple of staff departures last month, uh, not convenient timing before the annual meeting, um, but they had great opportunities and we wished them well and we're very sad to see them go. Sylvia McGee, our finance director, resigned last month to lead a small nonprofit called Teens in Process, which is a nonprofit she helped create, I think, about a dozen years ago. And she wanted to return to that, and it's, it helps uh, young women in crisis. And Hannah Hethman, our marketing coordinator, accepted a Fulbright scholarship in, in uh, Iceland to study the language and work on the culture, to learn about the culture of museums in Iceland. Um, a, a fact that she discovered and, and liked to tell us before she left was that Iceland has more museums per capita than any country in the world. Does that sound right? Did I get that right? No one's, no help from staff, okay. <laughs> we'll say. Okay. Sounds good, John. It sounded good. I think that's what helped get her the Fulbright. She said that in her Fulbright. It went facts. <laughs> Hearing no alternative, we'll stick with that fact. <laughs> Our new marketing coordinator, Dara Fogarty, who was standing right there in the front left, um, coming in to replace Hannah, comes to us from Montana. She has worked on communications and marketing for several nonprofits and has an MBA from the University of Montana. Our second recent hire is John Marks. I see him over there, filling a newly created external relations coordinator position. He has a history PhD from Rice University and will be working on the History Relevance Campaign, planning for the nation's semi-quincentennial, and managing the seminar for historical administration, among other things. Asia Bain, is Asia here? Right there, all right. Who has worked for ASLH since 2014 and earned her MA in Public History from Middle Tennessee State University, has taken on new duties, including uh, being managing editor of History News, uh, a much larger role in the awards program, trying to wrench that away from Bethany and uh, we'll eventually be working in, in the book publishing as well, plus lots of other things. Terry Jackson, also sitting over there, who has done graduate work in public history at 
Middle Tennessee State University as well, continues to improve our membership database and all aspects of membership in general, and serves in services and is liaison to the Heritage Emergency National Task Force, among other things. Amber Mitchell, also sitting right over there, who was new last year and our newly created Education and Services Coordinator and whom we forgot to haze <laughs> at this meeting. Oh, we've done it? Okay. Uh, earned her MA in Public History from IUPUI, and we created the position because we had a growing continuing education program of workshops, webinars, and courses that Bethany wouldn't let go of, uh, but now she sort of has. And um, under Amber, it, it has flourished. Our webinars have, have doubled in number. Um, and Sherry Cook also, I thought I saw Sherry over there, who runs our visitors' count evaluation program and who helped create and now leads our STEPS program, Standards and Excellence program for history organizations. And her big project in the coming year, which was kind of kicked up, well, not really, but sort of kicked off at this conference, is a STEPS enhancement program. So it's about seven or eight years old and there's lots of things we, we'd like to do with the STEPS program. So it's gonna be a major initiative um, of the organization in the next year. All of the ASLH staff members assist with the annual meeting. I think all of them are in the room. Um, I'm extremely grateful to them. I really, really enjoy working side by side with them each day. Um, so please give me, join me in giving them a round of applause. And without a doubt, the year since Detroit has been very productive for ASLH. I'm grateful to everyone who's contributed dues, donations, volunteer time, their ideas, and their support in any kind of way. Um, please send us your criticism as well. We need to hear that. So all of the work we've done, we've tried to keep in alignment with the five strategic goals of the organization. Promoting the relevance of history, building diversity, inclusion, being a sustainable and transparent organization, having a creative and experimental spirit, and being a responsive and representative association. So we've maintained a close and supportive relationship with the History Relevance Campaign. Um, over the last year, we created that new position that John Marks is in to help us uh, provide administrative support to history relevance. We've integrated it into everything that we do at the organization. And uh, with the help of Sarah Sutton, who's here at the conference, I don't know if she's in the room, uh, we submitted an NEH grant on behalf of the History Relevance Campaign um, and ASLH. And we're hoping to hear about that um, in the spring. It's for the uh, community conversations. And uh, also with the History Relevance Campaign, we now have almost 190 endorsers. If your organization has not endorsed the History Relevance Campaign, please do so. Uh, we have, um, these are the states that, uh, where we have the most endorsers. You can see some of the, some of the very light colored states are the empty ones, I think. Is that right, John? The, the light colored ones have one or two. It's the gray ones that are empty, Oregon, uh, <laughs> South Carolina, Mississippi, New Mexico. Um, so please help us get more endorsers. It's, it's very important. Um, let me go there. The STEPS program, now seven years old, reaching 930 institutions, as I said, is undergoing an enhancement process. We have input from STEPS participants all over the country that we've collected. Um, virtually, at this conference, there is a planning meeting to um, ass assign teams to particular parts of the STEPS program that need the most attention, and we will be convening them um, sometime next year to work for a couple of days to rewrite um, the STEPS program. As I mentioned, our continuing education is booming. We've nearly tripled in size and reach in the past year, if you, if you look at dollars and numbers of people. Um, Thank you to Amber Mitchell and to the rest of the staff who have a hand in that and to the volunteers who serve as faculty um, or, or um, um, speakers in the webinars. So we've expanded both the practical trainings and methods of, of history museums and history organizations and launched a new series 
uh, which is quite small right now, but I think it's going to grow into something much larger, which is connecting scholarship, reconnecting scholarship to uh, the world of public history institutions. And we're doing that in cooperation with the Organization of American Historians. And thanks to a grant from the Tennessee Humanities Council, we are piloting a master local historians program at three Tennessee history institutions. And we hope to make the program national in a year or two and share it with the field. We're trying to create uh, models for the field in this national program. And the idea is to help institutions. In some institutions are already doing this. And in fact, we're borrowing from their models. But we, what we want to do is get more institutions, more history organizations running something like a master local historians program where members of the general public would participate in a 12 or 15 week course, if you would want to call it that, learning the, the skills and methods and assumptions of, of history people, uh, research skills, and, and maybe have their own project that they're working through. Um, and that once you do this, you, you strengthen your donor base, you strengthen your volunteer base, um, your, your pool for crowdsourcing projects, and, uh, and even your board members, and you build allies in the community where they're most needed. And then um, shortly, a few, or a few weeks after the conference, we're going to launch a new website. So we've been very busy this summer. Um, this is what the homepage will look like. And it's meant to uh, make our materials more accessible to more people. And uh, we would love your feedback on it. And then finally, um, I would like to point out that the staff and I represented the association in 22 states this year um, since Detroit. That's probably counting Detroit. Yeah. Uh, but we still we find time to get out and participate in conferences, go to meetings, um, do some of the workshops on site in, in uh, states around the country. So in closing, in July 1941, when the ASLH published its first newsletter, right here, about a year after the association's founding, ASLH President C.C. Crittenden stated our purpose in this way. Today in the United States and Canada, there are more than 1,000 organizations in the field of state, provincial, and local history, publicly supported and privately financed, large and small, strong and weak, rich and poor, they are all working toward the same ends, and everyone would profit by a closer association with the others. Interest in the same field is manifested by many thousands of college professors, amateur historians, archivists, genealogists, antiquarians, persons engaged in the preservation of history shrines, members of patriotic groups, and other individuals. Frequently out of touch with each other and often lacking the proper tools for their work, such persons would benefit from a closer association and from a pooling of resources. So a lot has changed in the intervening 75 years. There are far more than 1,000 history organizations we know. And a much greater number of people, I believe, think of history makers as being people like themselves, not just great white men somewhere, but people like themselves. I am history after all. Despite what's changed, there's a continuity of purpose in what ASLH does. We are still striving for that closer association. We are still trying to pool resources, develop proper tools and practices, and connect together a wide variety of passionate history practitioners, urban and rural, conservative and progressive, and with far greater cultural, race, racial, gender, sexual, economic, and age diversity, and inclusive today. So thank you all for a terrific year. Thank you for your support. And thanks for coming to the annual meeting. I don't think this staff sleeps, let me just say that. They work very hard and very productively. So thank you for that great report, John. Um, and I also want to note that, though I was looking at my phone while John was talking, I wasn't reading my emails or anything like that. I was tweeting from the podium. Did you get it? Uh, my colleague at the Stowe Center, our marketing director, Vivian Nabetta, says I have to do this, so I work really hard at it <laughs> and appreciate your doing the same with your own tweets. It raises ASLH's profile. 
Um, the tweets we did from the keynote for with Darren Walker got flooded around the country. So it's a great way to connect. Uh, now we have another sad part of the agenda, which is recognition of outgoing council members. Each year, a uh, class of four finishes their four-year term, and um, that means that they have worked together and with their colleagues on council to um, build a more successful organization. And um, these people are, uh, as you know, the council is our governing body, and um, the council is all volunteer, and these people work hard on their roles and responsibilities. So when to call our retiring members up one by one and thank them for their service. So please join me with that. First we have Jane Lindsay. Jane. Jane joins us from Alaska. She's the tallest member of the council. <laughs> Our basketball team is going to be crummy from now on. And um, she is a thoughtful, uh, commenting member of the council. And when she sits, when she speaks, everybody listens. Thank you, Jane. Just like just like to point out that being tall is not a credential. <laughs> Diversity and inclusion, folks. <laughs> Next, I'd like to recognize Ken Torino. Ken? Ken has an amazing sense of humor, and uh, um, he's a thoughtful, strategic thinker. He has been involved with ASLH since before I came to Connecticut. I know that. We won't talk about how long. And um, his comments at the council table uh, are uh, always thought-provoking. So we'll miss you, Ken. Toby Voigt. Toby. One of Toby's credentials is she represents younger members of ASLH, which means her perspective is different than my more seasoned, it's <laughs> my new word, seasoned perspective. Um, but we far from disagree on the future of ASLH. Toby was a key member of our meeting in Detroit, uh, working with the local arrangements team, and uh, as part of that has had some terrific suggestions about future meetings and how to organize ourselves successfully so that the local people feel well respected and ASLH's meetings are successful. Toby, we'll miss you. all these people figured out. There's Jan. Jan Gallimore. Jan is from Idaho. You saw that Idaho had good heat marks on that map. Um, Jan hosted council this June uh, at, in Boise, and what I say coming out of that meeting is I want to move there, and if I can't move there, we all need to go there. And um, I hope she proposes, uh, proposes an annual meeting there. Um, Jan's involvement with the History Relevance campaign has made that, helped make that happen. She's a strategic political thinker and has been a guide for council as we wend our way through public commentary and advocacy, and we will miss her. Thank you, Jan. Oh, now it's my turn. I need my notes. 
We have like five minutes, right? That's what they gave the chair, five minutes um, for comments. So I'm going to be brief. I'd like to ask the um, current and incoming council members to all stand and be recognized. And this is the transition point when the outgoing people are, are outgone and the incoming people are incoming, are in. And I'd like to ask all former council members in the room to stand and be recognized. And I want to give you briefly a glimpse into council work and some of the things we've been working on this year. Of course, the first thing we keep an eye on is the finances, and I want to assure you that council takes that very seriously. I want to thank um, Norman and previous treasurers, Cinnamon and Anne uh, Topovich and Caitlin. I never get Cinnamon's last name right. I'm sorry, Cinnamon. Okay. <laughs> I... Thank you. Not inclusive of me, however. Getting name, get words count. Um, uh, building a financial reporting process with staff that is transparent, uh, is summative enough that we can see the trends and that we get the details we need without having to read 20 pages of reports. So thank you all. Um, council also um, has spent some considerable, done some considerable work this year thinking about advocacy and acting. Um, we have found um, a surprising number of opportunities where history is in the headlines and it is uh, ASLH's responsibility to comment on some of those history uh, activities and issues. And um, I don't expect that that is going to go away. Um, as a result, we have been working on what our advocacy policy is, how we do it, so we can be nimble and thoughtful and get uh, ASLH's comments to the public and to our members and whatever guidance our members in the field need and make those available. Um, so there will be more to come on that, but I want to thank Council for their thoughtful involvement in these issues and discussing them. Um, another piece of that is the, our conversations about the deaccessioning issue, particularly prompted by the, most recently by the Berkshire Museum in Massachusetts, which has proposed to, which is deaccessioning 40 um, art pieces to fund their new vision. And uh, as a result of council's discussions and CEO leadership uh, retreat earlier this week, it's clear that it's time for ASLH to look at our standards and practices documents related to um, deaccessioning and what one does with those funds and the circumstances and the process. Um, uh, there is not, uh, it's a fracture point in the field. It always has been and it's time to look at it again. So um, there will be more coming on that. I personally want to comment on the importance of our roles um, holding the public trust. Museums and history organizations remain among the most trusted organizations in the country, and in this day and age, you know what a compliment that is. And we must respect that and hold on to it. And when colleague organizations uh, appear to go against the public trust, and now I'm off my unbiased council chair podium and talking just as myself, when we go off the, uh, when organizations um, act outside the public trust, which is what, what it is how the public can read some of these deaccessioning circumstances, um, I think we need to be mindful of how we all need to act and um, how we communicate with the public, how transparent we need to be if we find ourselves in the position of needing to deaccession and um, uh, to bring additional funds into the organization. Um, 
And so I think there's uh, some public thinking we all need to do around this issue. Um, you've heard about the task forces, particularly around the strategic, um, strategic goals and aspirations, and those task forces are lively and energetic. The diversity and inclusion task force last night had a mixer, which brought all kinds of people together, and we had fun. If you missed it, I'm sorry. And the Creativity and Experimentation Task Force had, I hear, a lively meeting this morning and is going to figure out ways for us all to get into various kinds of trouble in Kansas City at the meeting there. And um, another thing um, that we did um, seriously at this meeting and over the summer as council was look at our annual meeting policy. We are finding that more and more members are bringing issues to us at, uh, that are related to, um, not ASLH issues, but issues in the communities where we are going or planning to go. And the question is, under what circumstances might ASLH decide not to go to a particular city it is already committed to? And it is looking like the answer is going to be, it's gonna be very difficult to get us out of going for one reason, financial reasons. Um, the closer you get to an annual meeting, the more financial commitment ASLH has, and of course, it's, we just got, we've just worked hard to be financially sustainable, and we don't wanna put ourselves in a position of risking that. At the same time, we respect that these issues raise questions and opportunities for us to talk, to think, to share, and to be involved in the communities where we're visiting. So um, we expect in Kansas City, which of course is in Missouri, and the NAACP has um, put out a, a travel advisory, travel advisory uh, uh, asking people to be mindful and careful, particularly people of color, of traveling in Missouri, and given our membership and our goals, uh, we wanted to respect that, so we took that very seriously. We evaluated it. Um, we recognized that though Missouri has the travel advisory, it's an issue across the country. It's not the only place uh, where that might be an issue. Um, you just need to ask your colleagues of color to hear the stories. And so, uh, and also, ASLH can bring so much to a community, and the local host committee, certainly for Kansas City, has been working already very hard, and we must respect all of this work. So we are gonna put some of the resources for Kansas City that we would lose if we backed out of a contract a year ahead of time. We're gonna put some additional resources uh, into some of these issues, talking about um, uh, issues of race, and equity in the United States, what they mean for our communities and for our organizations so that we can, um, um, as ASLH and in communities, have conversations that the United States is, is having uh, across itself, but that we explicitly um, do this in ASLH. We have been, but uh, in a more focused way and in in relationship with the local community. So I expect potentially the host committee might look different, the community relationships might be a bit different. Um, this is not all figured out, but we'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about um, taking advantage of, of, uh, of, of issues-based discussion um, and what it means for state and local history. So John has plugged uh, Harvey I ask you to take out your wallets and give, Harvey slash Irma probably. And I, uh, just on a personal note, I want to say um, I announced retirement earlier um, this summer and have been amazed. This is retirement from the Stowe Center, not retirement from ASLH, just to affirm that. Uh, I've been amazed at the number of people that want to talk about that. What are you going to do? How did you plan it? What's your board think? So I see a session or a program opportunity there, especially for longer-term EDs. ASLH might want to look into that. But it also, I find myself talking about the younger members of ASLH and how confident I feel in removing myself from everyday working life, because um, I expect my history engagement's gonna continue, um, uh, in the people coming up, as we say. And I'm excited about that and looking forward to that. Um, I'm learning stuff. 
um, from my younger colleagues at work and at ASLH, and uh, it's fun. So I look forward to that future. Um, but uh, associated with that, I met a young woman at this meeting who is a young curator, uh, a woman of color, who is at a presidential site. She is the only um, person, middle management and up, at her organization of color. All the other people are support staff of various kinds, guards, um, et cetera. And um, she is having a radical impact on their programming and is proud and excited of that, uh, uh, about that. And I was encouraging her and proud and excited myself that she was having this impact. And then in the middle of the night, I realized, well, now wait a minute. Of course, that's not just her job, y'all. That's all our jobs, to make programs of strength that are inclusive, that tell the whole story of the people associated with the site, and that engage with our publics, all of our publics, uh, across the board. So that is my uh, wrap-up note as we just about wrap up the meeting. Is that the last agenda item? Yes. Invitation. One final thing, we want to pitch Kansas City to you. Who wants to come up here and tell us? How, it's me? I'm doing it? Here's where you do that. I'll do it. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. We just want to invite you to Kansas City. Uh, often at the meeting of the membership, we have the host committee of the next year here to present. We're actually going to do that at the end of the keynote tomorrow. So, in case you're not there, please come to Kansas City. It's a great place. Thank you. Meeting adjourned.